Escaping the Riptide, the Harmony Way. Bringing the news in person. I quickly learnt that in mining, the line is a big thing. It epitomizes the military command and control style of leadership and communication. Ignore it at your peril, but rely solely on it and you will wonder why messages just get stuck. Our approach at Harmony and subsequently was to leverage Lion's credibility in terms of certain tools, for example, the visual strategy map, but to reinforce these by creating tailor-made X-Line tools for specific employee segments. With the Harmony Way manual, the Changing Channels video, and numerous other tools, we covered the senior and middle management segments effectively. The visual strategy map, as a through-the-line tool, successfully leveraged Lion's credibility. The underground workforce, however, still posed a challenge. Many companies simply outsource the communication to organized labor and then wonder why there's very little understanding of the business issues or the corporate strategy. We wanted to create a specific channel that carried relevant daily information and resonated with this employee segment. As a result of my relationship with Blue Moon, I was fortunate enough to be exposed to state-of-the-art industrial theatre. Industrial theatre productions were, and still are known, for dramatising company messages into a play-theatre format, using professional actors to convey these. Industrial theatre as a medium, with its live show aspects and elements of humour, song and audience involvement, is unparalleled and memorable. To this day, I recall a little songworm from one of the Harmony productions, Waza Waza Payday My Darling, that tends to surface around the 25th of every month. Sadly, as successful as industrial theatre is as a medium, it suffers from some substantial drawbacks. Cost, not only of the production setup, but also due to the downtime required to enable employees to see the show. One of my dyed-in-the-wool mining colleagues shared with me that these little plays were costing the company around 5 million rand a shift, so they had better be worth it. I must admit, a few sleepless nights followed that conversation, but it made me realise that as effective as this medium was, we had to rethink it to make it work more efficiently for the business. Another drawback of industrial theatre is its lack of sustainability. As great as the show is, it's always a one-off. Understanding the needs of the business and the benefits of this medium, Blue Moon and ourselves put our heads together and came up with what turned out to be a groundbreaking solution. That Harmony create its own in-house industrial theatre group, selected, trained and managed from within. Waza Nazo, which means bringing the news, was born. This process predated idols, but it wasn't too dissimilar. Can you imagine the opportunity for a general underground worker to become an actor-communicator? The audition cues were miles long. And of course, as is always the case, when you look for talent, you find it. We selected three groups consisting of three people each to cover Harmony's three regions. The groups were professionally trained and worked on an ongoing basis with a theatre director and scriptwriter who guided them through the process of coming up with productions based on the Harmony Way. Each Wazanazo group went underground with the workforce daily and performed at the waiting places, stations and even in the cages, underground lifts.
As well as being a sending channel, the Warzanazo group also turned into an amazingly effective feedback channel. In the process of the group performing company messages, the employee audience would retort with, It's all good and well for you guys to talk about the Harmony Way, but what do we do about the loco on 47 level that's been broken for a month? We quickly realized how valuable this X-line feedback was and created a weekly feedback session between Wozanazo, the mine manager, and our corporate team. Some managers took full advantage of this great resource. Others ignored it, hoping this too shall pass. But it didn't. I've no doubt that I must have irritated one or two prickly mine managers with a polite call inquiring about exactly when they planned to fix the loco on 47 level. Of course, this setup had its challenges, but these were minuscule compared to the benefits. When Peter Harris, then COO of Placidome, commented, after spending over a month with Harmony, getting an understanding of the South African gold mining culture in preparation for his company's first investment into the country. I can't believe that you guys can get fund managers in New York and rock drill operators in Valcom to have the same version of the corporate strategy. I knew we were getting somewhere. Leadership conferences. Singing, storytelling and a bit of tequila. When you are as maverick and pioneering as Harmony was, it's vital to build a strong leadership cadre who are equipped with the skills to take their people with them. The Harmony Exco acknowledged the need for a leadership session among the 300 or so managers in the company. The first attempt was a typical PowerPoint hodgepodge, which saw each executive present his plans for the year. Mercifully, it was a half-day Saturday morning and the best thing about it was the braai afterwards. When, a year later, the time came to plan the follow-up, I, an executive by this stage, put up my hand. Graham Briggs, or reserve management exec at the time and later CEO, and I got the job of planning and executing an event aimed at inspiring, aligning and developing Harmony's leaders. And so began an annual event that for me, and I hope for some of the 300 others, became a calendar highlight. I remember many things about our first official leadership conference, not least the look on Graham's face when staring down creative service provider prima donnas. I think he longed to just disappear underground a lot of the time. The venue was Parace in the Free State, practically chosen to be midway for most of the operations. We used the open space process, which requires participation and engagement from all, and it worked extremely well. Delegates love being asked for their contributions rather than being told what to do. We generated amazing new ideas which all had buy-in due to the participative nature of the process. But the two things that really stood out for me, karaoke and a revolving room, had nothing whatsoever to do with the process. First, the karaoke. The venue proudly informed us that after the spit on the first night, they would provide free karaoke. Our response? A resounding no thank you. Harmony, despite the name, was simply not a karaoke kind of company. The venue, true to their shambolic organisational skills, forgot to cancel the karaoke. And so there we sat, post spit a bunch of miners and an empty stage. But not for long. Maybe it was the booze. 
It had to be. But one management team after the other insisted on going up there and strutting their stuff. From Reipert to I'm Too Sexy, they covered it all and had a ball. From then on, karaoke became a leadership conference institution. And then the story of the revolving room. Again, a venue issue. The female executives were all staying together in a guest house rather than the wooden cabins that made up the rest of the accommodation. One of the few advantages of being a woman in mining, I suppose. After unpacking on arrival, I locked my room and left only to return much later that night to find, to my utter surprise and horror, that it was occupied and that my luggage had been unceremoniously dumped out in the hallway. I was outraged but the more immediate problem was that it was way past midnight and I now had no room at all. Storming down to reception, I bumped into Bob Atkinson, Harmony's operations director. Bob and I didn't have a lot in common, but this time we shared a dilemma. Bob was also roomless. When the somewhat flustered receptionist tried to sort this out by offering us one room to share, I don't know who looked more ashen. Common sense thankfully prevailed. Bob offered to share with another male colleague and I got my own wooden cabin, Zozo Hut, for what was left of the night. All's well that ends well, but Paris was well and truly excised from our list of potential venues after that. After the success of the first leadership conference, they took on a life of their own. Every year had to be different, better and raise the bar. For me, manna from heaven. There was always serious business information to cover and the challenge was to do this in a creative, relevant and engaging way. One year, identifying the need for different departments and functions to work together and promote a spirit of cooperation and teamwork, we used the leadership conference to literally provide an internal marketing platform for each function and department. Their challenge was to present their function to the rest of the company in an original and unexpected manner. New Business created their very own Har Monopoly board game, complete with chance and opportunity cards to show the rationale behind Harmony's growth and acquisition strategy. HR designed a picket line displaying all desired attitudes and values as catchy slogans and disrupted the conference by toy-toying to the song Love Generation. The ore reserve department completely outdid themselves by using the analogy of your body and the ore body and physically demonstrating that the ore body dictates by means of a live Pilates demo, which showcased the four principles of ore reserve management, growth, strength, flexibility and development, which also happen to be four key principles of Pilates. Then there's the tequila story. The services transformation team used a Pink Floyd medley featuring the songs Another Brick in the Wall, Comfortably Numb and Money, all thankfully to backing tracks to show their progress. When they stood on their chairs, fists in the air, yelling, we don't need no transformation, we don't need no cost control, no dark sarcasm in the boardroom, Bernard leave us kids alone. I thought the roof might come off. And this was at eight in the morning, the first session. The previous day, in rehearsal, they were all as wooden as stone. Prayer, of course, always works. But was there something else? When I asked the team leader, 
who shall forever remain nameless, how he'd gotten them to loosen up, he didn't say a word. He just smiled and hauled out an empty bottle of tequila from under his chair. Stories always featured prominently at the leadership conference. One year, we decided to formalize this by creating a storytelling competition along the lines of American Idol. Using the Harmony brand print as the brief, we asked each participant to tell their personal Harmony story. We captured each and every one of these and later created a Harmony storybook. Participants were initially split into smaller groups who each selected their best story, so we ended up with five Harmony story finalists who needed to win over the audience and the three judges, playing the Randy Jackson, Paula Abdul and Simon Cowell roles. What an amazing event. Employees appreciated the opportunity to share and discover things about their colleagues that even after years of working side by side, they had never known. There are lots of statistics about the power of stories, but after you've seen an event like this, you don't need further convincing. I still have the Harmony storybook and often reread it, marveling at the people of Harmony and their stories. And what's more, Bernard finally got to play Simon Cowell. Is that typecasting or what? The Bid the Rocked a Nation I love thrillers, whodunits and James Bond movies as much as the next person, but I never expected to be in one. Harmony's famous 2004 bid to take over Goldfields, a company twice its size, rocked corporate South Africa, and even more so the collegial nature of the gold mining industry. Hostile bids were rare, and even more unusual was a smaller company, an underdog, taking on something much larger. Much has been written about the bid. Five chapters, I believe, were devoted to the villainous Swanepoel in the Goldfields commissioned book, Battlefields of Gold and their detailed accounts of the legal precedents and transaction details. But I don't think the bits that stick in my memory would have made it into those esteemed documents. I remember travelling to the Denver Gold Conference about a month or so before the bid was announced. At that stage, everything was top secret. Adrian Coates of HSBC, Harmony's advisors, had practically moved in with us, and he happened to be on the same flight as Bernard and me. As luck would have it, so was Colin Coleman of Goldman Sachs, Goldfield's advisors. Of course, any hint of us even knowing Adrian would have aroused suspicion. So we studiously ignored poor Adrian, all the while cordially shooting the breeze with Colin. Even more awkward was that they sat right next to each other for no less than 18 hours. As corporate bankers do, they came up with a code name for the bid. One after my own heart, actually. They dubbed it Project Gaul, a nod to the Asterix comic book series. Harmony, of course, was Asterix, Goldfields was Obelix, and I Am Gold, a Canadian company that Goldfields was attempting to buy, despite the ire of their shareholders, was Dogmatics. It amused me no end that the bankers could never really keep to their own code, most documents would state, and so Bernard Swanepoel of Asterix will approach Ian Cockrell of Obelix. Really? I just hope that Adrian wasn't reading these so-called coded documents on the plane in full view of his seatmate. If the time before the bid was cloak and dagger stuff, 
Nothing prepared me for what happened once it was announced. This was an unprecedented, gutsy, some would say arrogant move. Corporate South Africa was enthralled. The bid grabbed the headlines almost daily for the six months or so of its duration. Of course, this set the stage for enormous communication challenges, externally as well as internally. Externally, Harmony's advisors were FD Beachhead, headed up by a smart, sassy, no-nonsense, South Africanized American Jennifer Cohen, a perfect ally for Bernard. I was in charge of the internal marketing and communication strategy. Jen and I bonded deeply in those trenches, and one of the glorious outcomes of the bid is our ongoing friendship. We knew that taking our employees with us was a vital part of this journey, and we stopped at nothing to achieve it. We were fortunate to have a solid foundation in terms of employees' understanding of and alignment to Harmony's strategy. So the challenge was to keep them, about 50,000 of them, updated on a daily basis. With the daily noise in the newspapers and journalists sensationalizing issues at every opportunity, we had to be one step ahead. We instituted a 7am daily conference call with every operational manager, during which Bernard would personally brief the guys as to what they could expect to see in the newspapers that day, dispel any false rumours and give his version of events. As soon as this was over, every participant would receive a hymn sheet of Bernard's main points to share with their teams, who would then share it with their teams, and so on. When something unexpected happened, we used text messages. By sticking to this discipline religiously, we made sure that all employees were in the know. Employees said that they felt like insiders because they were trusted as insiders. There was not a single instance of a breach of confidentiality among a 50,000-strong workforce, which demonstrates that when you trust people, they usually show that they can be trusted. There were lots of stories about fractious interactions between Goldfields employees and Harmony employees. My favourite one involves two erstwhile friends who got arguing about the pros and cons of Harmony during their customary Saturday evening braai. Bless his soul, the Harmony employee stubbornly refuted every argument and waxed lyrical about the Harmony story. The only thing left for his mate to do was let his fists do the talking. That Monday morning, the shift boss showed up at his Harmony shaft, black-eyed but proud of taking one for the corporate strategy. There were tense moments, shocking moments and unexpectedly funny ones. One of the tensest for me was the Extraordinary General Meeting, EGM, where Harmony needed 75% shareholder approval to proceed. It was supposedly in the bag before the meeting, but you never know with fund managers. Just weeks before, Goldfields had thought they had the 50% to approve their deal with Iron Gold in the bag, only to discover at the meeting that one large institutional shareholder had changed its mind, thereby opening the door for Harmony's bid to proceed. The atmosphere at that EGM could have been cut with a knife. I sat at the back, digging my nails into my palms and barely breathing. Up front, Bernard, Harmony's chairman Patrice Mazzepe, and the lawyers were smoothly going through the motions, until Mr Hayden decided to intervene. Mr Hayden was an old codger, 
well known for his disruptive behavior at shareholder meetings, as well as his propensity for leaving with platefuls of the eats afterwards. We realized that the trick was to feed him first, as this sent him off to a peaceful sleep and the proceedings thereafter ran smoothly. But this time we'd made a mistake. A long AGM had preceded the EGM, so no food until afterwards. At a crucial moment, Mr. Hayden stood up, raised his cane and vigorously shook it at Patrice, saying, Mr. Chairman, I don't like your nose. Given that Mr. Hayden had previously complained at an AGM during Harmony's merger with Avman, saying, I don't like someone called Swanepoel running my company. I like a good Jewish surname like Menel. The racial inference was insultingly clear. As the audience collectively held their breath, Patrice didn't miss a beat, retorting, But Mr. Hayden, it's a perfectly good Jewish nose. Everyone, including Mr. Hayden, burst into relieved laughter. Patrice, ever the charmer, deserves a medal for that one. And Mr. Hayden, long since passed on, is hopefully resting in peace. The shocking part of the bid for me was how it turned ugly at times. Behind the scenes, Bernard and Ian Cockrell, Goldfields' CEO, chatted often, taking long walks together in London's Hyde Park. But of course, there were other forces at play. I personally felt the brunt of this when one day Jennifer called me and asked if Bernard had any secret overseas bank accounts. I had no idea what she was on about. It turned out that the other side had fabricated a whole list of offshore accounts and were alleging that Bernard and Ferdy Dippenau had used these to launder money. The laughable bit was that they had only laundered the minuscule amount of £5,000 each. The whole thing was completely untrue, yet interestingly timed to appear in the press just before a critical vote or process. The perfect red herring to discredit key harmony players and hog the headlines. Ever since, I have looked askance at what newspapers blaze across their front pages as gospel truth. Then, there's my infamous Bond girl moment. The nature of a transaction like this is that lots happens behind the scenes, in unofficial talks between various parties. Prior to one of these unofficial meetings, I happened to bump into one of the opposition's team members who I knew reasonably well from before the bid times. We kissed and hugged in greeting, and something pinged at the back of my mind, but I didn't immediately know what it was. As we parted ways and he continued on to his secret meeting with Bernard, I had a eureka moment. During our brief hug, I'd felt something odd on his arm and chest and fleetingly thought, a heart monitor? But why? Then logic kicked in. Not a heart monitor, I realised, but a recording device. I was beside myself. How could I warn Bernard? Not that he really needed warning. He's always been an open book, prepared to say what he feels to anyone who will listen. But what if this was a sinister trap, a plot by the opposition? My mind was in overdrive. I called Bernard and managed to whisper only two words. He's wired. Proud that my spy girl code had narrowly averted potential disaster. Much later that night, when we had a chance to discuss the day's events, I expressed my incredulity at this incident. What are you talking about? replied my noise-induced hearing loss and now hearing aid-wearing husband. You said he was weird, and I thought, yes, 
Of course he's weird, and I wondered why he never removed his jacket on a sweltering hot day. I don't need you to tell me that. I was devastated that my message had failed to send. But in the end, spy girls and spooks are unnecessary when you play open cards, which was exactly what Bernard and Harmony were famous for. Appreciation For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Jeremiah 29 verse 11 This is one of my favourite scriptures and I give thanks every day for God's amazing plans and endless blessings. Thank you to my family, friends, colleagues and clients for the thousands of conversations we've had over the years which have shaped my thinking and touched my heart. Thank you Sandy and Adam who each in your own way patiently and brilliantly Take what I see in my mind's eye and bring it to life. Thank you, Alec, for encouraging, or is that nagging, me to write. And thank you, Jet, for your unswerving belief that I should put my soul on the page. Thank you, Mom and Robs, for teaching me. The more I practice, the luckier I will get. Most of all, thank you to my two boys, Bernard and Zach, who love my perfect imperfections inspire me to be the best 2.0 version of myself and without whom neither I nor this book would exist.